0: How many of you put up the tree already? How many of you are thinking you might put up the tree today? How many of you are hoping, man, I just wish that stupid tree would get... Anybody got the tree still in the attic? We've got this glitter tree thing that we got a few years ago. It's got glitter everywhere. (laughs) You know, it, it, there there are two things that I that drive me crazy. One is the, the residue from the tree, whatever that may be, whether it's 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 the needles or, in our case, glitter and Easter grass. Those two things. You never stop getting the Easter grass or the tree needles or in our case the glitter. We, the tree's beautiful. We have this beautiful artificial Christmas tree, but it's got glitter everywhere. And so, so I, I got it down. Of course we, we've now moved and, and I got it down recently out of the attic of the parsonage to move it over. And of course after that I've just, I'm just, I'm covered in glitter, you know, for weeks at a time. And, and so anyway, we have not yet put up our tree, but we're, we're getting closer. We may do that. Uh, In the next few days, we're not totally sure. Uh, Maybe some of you have some traditions when it comes to putting up your tree. You know, you do it at a certain time. It has to be after Thanksgiving. Or you do it at this particular, you know, Sunday or weekend or night or whatever. When I was a kid, we always listened to the Perry Como Christmas album. (sighs) Whether we liked it or not was a different story. Dad was putting that thing on. We were going to, you know, it was back when we had cassettes. He, he put that tape in there and, and he'd play that thing. And so now my sister actually continues that tradition with her family. For some reason, she still wants to listen to that same album. And so she does that. She, she, she listens to that. I still cringe when I hear his songs. But... Um... <laughs> But, but Perry Como Christmas. Now for us in our family, we have some, some little things when we put up the Christmas tree that, that we do. Nancy's grandmother gave her years ago, gave her some ornaments that celebrate and highlight the 12 days of Christmas. And so when those are going up, we, with that, the song is being sung. And, and then we have some ornaments that we put up at the very last, some, some ornaments that, Nancy and I got one on our honeymoon, and then we went back to Disney a few years later with three kids, and we got another ornament. And so those things go up uh, the very last things We have some traditions and so on, and and I'm sure you do too. One of the things that we don't often do as a tradition is to really stop and consider what, if any, meaning there is in the tree itself. Part of the reason that the lights are not... Lit today, the tree is not on fire today. Is that we're going to do this in some stages? Uh, we're we're going to start a new series today called "Taking Back Christmas," and I, I know some of us get really angry about about how politically correct uh, this holiday season is, uh, and and I get it, and I understand that. My point is not to make us angry during this series. My point is really for us. For us to take the lead in taking back Christmas, not just in saying, I'm going to say Merry Christmas. If somebody says Happy Holidays, go for it. That's fine. It's just perfect. It's wonderful. Do that. But I'm talking about truly impacting both our individual lives and our families. So hopefully in all of this, what you get is some things you can talk with your family about, whether it's talking with maybe family members who don't know the Lord, but they're putting up a a holiday tree. Uh, for some reason, even though they don't believe in Jesus, they'll put up a tree this time of year. They don't put it up any other time of year. You see how we can get angry about this thing? They don't put it up any other time of year except at Christmas time for whatever reason. But they don't believe in Jesus. Maybe you can talk to them about the true meaning of the tree. Or maybe you've got kids or grandkids and, and you're looking for things, spiritual conversations you can have with them. And hopefully this series will give you some of those. So what we're going to look at over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas Eve will be the, the final week in the series is some obvious or maybe some historical meaning behind some of the things that we do at Christmas time. And today we're going to talk about how to take back the tree. How can we give, uh, recognize the meaning that there is just in the Christmas tree? What can we be reminded of when we put up the tree, maybe today, maybe this week, or when you walk by the tree that you've already got put up or the several maybe that you have in your house, whatever. What can we be reminded of? What can we learn uh, by by looking at this tree. We're going to look today at what we can learn by studying the family tree of Jesus Christ. So if you got a Bible handy, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, very first verse, very first chapter in the New Testament. If you're if you are new to the Bible or you don't really know where things are, don't let that stop you. Uh, if you if you look in the table of contents, you'll see the Bible's divided not really in half, but in two different sections. There's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. We're going to be looking today in the very first chapter, very first verse of the New Testament. The book of Matthew... The first four books in the New Testament are called the Gospels, the Good News. It's the story of Jesus, told from four different perspectives. Some of those stories are the same. Some come from different angles and so on. they all tell us the great story of God becoming a human and taking on our sin and dying the death that we deserve and then being raised again to give us new life. Matthew starts off his gospel by giving us the historical family tree of Jesus. He tells us, here's who Jesus came from. And so look at it, verse 1, the historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then maybe you've got a little heading there. Mine says, from Abraham to David. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab followed Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. You see how this goes. Some of your versions say begat. Begat, begat, begat. That's the King James. This is the begats. Does it matter that this gospel starts with Jesus' line, his family tree? Sure it matters. It seems a little bit odd that Matthew would start with this. Why in the world, if you're going to tell the story of this incredible Jesus Christ, would you start by listing all this stuff? Does that seem boring to you when you first read that? you ever just go to the, you're going to okay, I'm going to read the New Testament and you kind of look at all that stuff and immediately turn the page. Let's get to the real story. You realize Matthew put that stuff in there for a reason? A very specific reason. Matthew's Gospel is about Jesus as the king of the Jews. And he wanted them to know he had the right to be the king of the Jews. And so if he could trace his, his, his family tree back far enough, obviously he's the king of the Jews. Where did the Jews come from? The son of Abraham. There's more that, to this than, than first meets the eye. Something that we need to learn from in the family tree of Jesus When you think about this, ultimately, the truth today that we'll get overall, the truth is very simple, that God is faithful. When you put up your tree, let it remind you of the family tree of Jesus. Let it remind you of the green color that it has. Let it remind you that God is faithful. We'll see that as we go through. He is sovereign, He is unchanging, He is loving, He is gracious. A few things about His faithfulness we'll get this morning. First of all... Be reminded that God is faithful even when we are not, when we are doing life our own way. This first set of names that I read from Abraham down to King David includes a period of time known as the period of the judges. If you know the Bible at all, you know there's a book called Judges. God had promised and blessed them and so on, and yet they, they did their own thing. In fact, in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, the very last verse in the book of Judges, you want to write it down, Judges 21:25. here's what it says. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Anybody know the rest of the verse? Anybody know that one? Everyone did what? Whatever they wanted. What was right in their own eyes, some versions say. Basically, whatever came naturally to them, whatever they felt like doing, that's what they did. Because there was no one to rule them. This is included in this first set. You think, well, good grief, it goes from Abraham to David. Man, there's some incredible people that are listed here. But during that period was a time when the Israelites did whatever they wanted to do. They were not faithful to the Lord. They did whatever they felt like doing. And so the book of Judges, as you can well imagine, is filled with immorality and godlessness and perversion and murder and rebellion and ultimately God's judgment through defeat. But it's also filled with His faithfulness. Because you realize what God did every single time that they failed Him and then turned back to Him. Do you know what He did? Anybody know? He forgave them. Yeah. Not a trick question, is it? He forgave them every time. It's a story of God's faithfulness, even when they were not faithful. God forgave. And our lives, if we're honest, are often just like those in the Book of Judges. We're doing life our own way. Listen, we show up at church every Sunday, and and then during the week, we often do life the way we want to. Right? We just do what we feel like doing. Sometimes it's tough. We live unfaithful to the Lord. But even at those times, this this list here from Abraham to David shows us, even during those times, God is faithful to us. In the midst of all of our sin, uh, King David, uh, Jesse fathered King David. Do you know his story? Uh, Found over in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Write down that reference. You want to read a story about, here's one of God's heroes. Here's someone who was called a man after God's own heart. you know what he did? He arranged his own adultery. He didn't happen into it. He didn't say, well, I, I don't really know how this happened. He saw a beautiful woman. He was the king. He wanted to have an affair with her, so he calls for her. She is sent to him, even though she's married. They have sexual relations. They they wind up having a child. He arranged his own adultery. Do you know what he arranged next? Cover up. Uriah, the, the husband of, the, of this woman Bathsheba, was off fighting the war that David should have been leading. David calls him back and says, maybe if, if, if he'll go in and be with his wife, then it will appear as if this child is his. You know, Uriah in that moment, however, was a better man than David. you know what he says? No, not doing it. He says, how could it be right for me as a soldier to come and enjoy time with my wife when my, when my brothers are out on the battlefield? I mean, think of the king who should be out of the battlefield knowing what he's done. David tries to arrange a cover up. I and mean, when the cover up doesn't work, Do you know what next he arranges? A murder. He sends word to Uriah's commander in the heat of the battle, have everybody pull back except him. What was going to happen? He was going to be killed, right? Plain and simple. So David arranges his own adultery, arranges a cover up, then arranges a murder. And then, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, there's a prophet named Nathan who comes to him and begins to explain this elaborate story about a a man, a powerful man, who steals the one precious lamb that this poor man had. Do you know what next David was going to arrange? Punishment for that powerful man. Until Nathan says what? You are the man. That wasn't a compliment. Like, you're the man. That was, you are that man. You're the one who has done this, and then all David could arrange was his own repentance. God, however, was faithful. Consequences notwithstanding, God is faithful to forgive. In the midst of our sin and our rebellion, just like King David, in all of our drifting, and all of our apathy, just like during this period of the judges that leads up to the exile. 2 Chronicles chapter 36, if you want to write down the reference. I'll, 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 I'll read you just a little bit of this. Second Chronicles chapter 36, beginning in verse 9. It lists several different kings, several different folks who took over, the time that they reigned and how long they were on the throne and so on. And do you know what inevitably it says? He did evil in the Lord's sight. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. It says this about Zedekiah. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet at the Lord's command. They rebelled over and over and over. And it was during this time the nation continued to drift. Beginning in around verse 11 and so on, you see these different kings in Matthew chapter 1. Over and over, but God is faithful. In Second Chronicles chapter 36 verses 22 and 23, God had sent them into exile as punishment, and yet now He is bringing them back. God never stops loving His people. Let me let me let me encourage you with this. God is faithful even when you and I are not. Some of you came this morning. You got a whole big mountain of sin on your shoulders from this week, and you feel guilty and shameful right now. I mean, you really do. You showed up a church hoping maybe maybe if I show up a church, that'll pay for some of what I've done. Let me me tell you the bad news. You can't pay for what you've done. All you deserve, all I deserve for what we've done is for God to completely annihilate us. That's what we deserve. You can't pay for it. But let me tell you the the good news. You know what the good news is? That you don't have to. The good news is that, that, yeah, you can't. So you don't have to. Jesus is the one who paid all of that. So when you find your times of being unfaithful, let me encourage you simply, you'll see it in parentheses there under, just receive God's forgiveness. Receive His forgiveness. Turn back to Him. Repent. We have, and and I see this all the time, I talked with our folks on Wednesday night about it. We have so many people who are trying to earn their salvation, earn God's forgiveness. And so we do all kinds of things thinking, okay, God, is that, like, is that enough? Am I, I wonder, have I, have I paid it back yet? And I just sometimes think God must be shaking his head and said, do you not see the cross? Do you not see Jesus? Do you not see you can't pay any of this stuff back? God is faithful even when we're not. So what do we do? We simply receive his forgiveness. Listen, the best thing that some of you could do this morning. Is simply to say, God, I am done trying to earn your love. God, I'm done trying to prove that I'm really sorry for what I've done. And I'm going to receive the free gift of grace offered to me by Jesus Christ. I'm going to receive your forgiveness. But I need to be punished. Yeah, you do. But you can't be punished enough to pay for your sins. So what did God do? He came in Jesus Christ and took it for us. But, but I need to feel really guilty about this. Maybe you do. But guess what? Jesus took all your guilt to remove all of that stuff from you. And so you don't need to feel guilty anymore. You don't need to pay off those things anymore. That's what Jesus died for. That's the faithfulness of God. The record of Jesus Christ shows us that God is faithful. we simply receive His forgiveness. Even when we're not faithful, God is. Secondly, He's faithful not only when we are not, but He's faithful on the mountain. In each of these sections here in Matthew, we've got from Abraham to David, from David to the exile, from the exile all the way to the Messiah, You've got several different times of great victory and great joy. In the first section, you've got the Exodus. The story of the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, what God did to deliver those people from slavery. And then you've got the time where they entered the land of Canaan, the promised land. Joshua chapter 6, they they finally get there and they march on in. In the second section, you've got David. Uh, Even after all, David's story, of course, includes the story of him with with, uh, Goliath story of great victory, the third section, includes a portion of the Bible in Nehemiah where they rebuild the walls, they exiled, torn those all down. They get to moments of great victory, moments on the mountain. Let me encourage you, when you have great times, that's why we're going to put things on this tree. Great times where you say, I look back and see what God has done. Be sure to give Him the glory. Give Him the glory. It's real easy. Real easy for us to take credit for the great things in our lives. I've walked you through this before, but how many of you can take credit for where you were born? Raise your hand. How many of you can take credit for the the, the parents that, that you were born to? Good or bad? How many of you can take credit for just the natural intelligence and gifting that you have in particular things? Some of you are really incredible at things, aren't you? But did that come from just your hard work? No. How many of you can take credit for that thing that God did that you can't really still explain? But I just know I have tremendous peace right now. I just know I am seeing God work in miraculous ways in my life that I could never explain. I can't predict and I can't orchestrate. Be sure to give Him the glory when you're on the mountain. Don't forget what God has done and what God can do. That was the Israelites' problem. They kept forgetting over and over and over and over again. And eventually, because they forgot the Lord, they were unfaithful to Him. And when you're on the mountaintop, when things are going well, be sure to praise Him. Don't try to take credit for only what God can do. Thirdly, He is faithful not only on the mountain, so give Him the glory. He is faithful in the valley. Matthew chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Get us to the point here about the exile. The low point, really, in Israel's history. The high point to that point had been the the exodus, and now we have the exile, which is the lowest of the low. They never thought it would happen. The land was always so special to them. It was their identity. It was what God said, here's what you're, you're going to have. And they lose it. And so they're depressed, they're defeated, they're discouraged, they're confused, they feel abandoned. But God was faithful to them. He helped them endure. He brought them through and out of the exile. He eventually restored them to the land, and He never left them. And the third section here in Matthew chapter 1 gets us all the way where it says, Jacob, Father Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Even in the valley there was hope. Let me encourage you when you're in the valley to pour out your heart. In Psalm chapter 40, Psalm chapter 40, there's a great a great song here, really, it's a, it's a poem, a song. David here crying out, he says this in Psalm chapter 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit, out of the muddy clay, and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. How happy is the man who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. Let me encourage you. When you're in the valley and listen, this holiday season between Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year, maybe you don't have a lot to celebrate. Maybe you've lost loved ones that were very special to you. Maybe you're going through a very difficult time that doesn't seem to make any sense to you. Maybe you're experiencing depression and discouragement and it seems to come out of nowhere and you don't know why it's happening. Maybe you've lost this year. Things have not gone your way and you're in the valley. The Israelites were there in the exile, and yet there was always hope that the Messiah was coming. We look back on the hope that the Messiah has come. And just like the Psalms give us permission to do, let me encourage you, when you're in that valley, pour out your heart to the Lord. You say, well, I don't know if God can handle what I have to say to God right now. Trust me, He can. He's bigger than we are, and He can handle it. He's faithful on the mountain, He's faithful in the valley, and then fourthly and finally, He's faithful to keep His promises. This family line, this family tree of Jesus traces it, as it says here, all the way from Abraham, all the way through the Messiah, Jesus. God, all along the way, was giving promises. Mentions Abraham. You know, in Genesis chapter 12, God shows up to Abraham and he says, You're going to be the father of how many nations? Many nations descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. <laughs> Abraham was 75 years old. How many kids do he have at that point by now? Zero. I won't make you raise your hand if you're 75 or older in here. Bill did. You're proud of that. Absolutely. you got a winner right here. I like it. Be proud of it. Absolutely. But I don't know if you can imagine at 75 years old, Somehow having a child for the first time, uh, right? Stuff doesn't work anymore. It's not going to happen. That part of life is gone. That's what Abraham said. Listen, this is, this is ridiculous. This is not going to happen. My wife and I, hey, we're doing fine, but there's no way we're going to have a child at age 75. Now you think, well, people lived a lot longer back then. 75 when Abraham was living, not that much different from 75 now. Basically, he, he said, you know, God, my body is as good as dead. My, my wife is barren. There's no way she can have children after all these years of not being able to. And God said, you just watch. You watch what I'm going to do. I'm promising you, you will be the father of nations. Abraham didn't quite believe God. And it went for several years. In fact, it went for over a decade. And he eventually takes matters into his own hands. And his wife, Sarah, goes and says, Here, take, take my servant and, and, and have a child with her. And he does. You know the child's name? Ishmael. And God says, That's not, You're missing the point. You and your wife will have a child. And Sarah laughs at God, if you remember the story. And he says, a year from now, God says, one year from now, you will have a child. Guess what happened a year later? They had a kid. They were a little bit older than 75 at that point. Had a kid. Over and over and over, God's promises came true. In Exodus chapter 1, they continued to multiply and multiply and multiply. Guess what Abraham was at that point? The father of nations. And over and over and over, God fulfills his promises. And in Matthew chapter 1... It says the historical record of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 1, verse 16, Jesus, who is called the Messiah for centuries in the Old Testament, God had been promising one day the Messiah will come. And finally he does. Well, God promised God delivered. God keeps his promises. Let me encourage you as a, as an application to trust his word. There are a lot of things that you can trust. A lot of things that you can place your hope in, but let me encourage you, place your hope in the Word of God. Next year, by the way, in 2018, we are going to spend the entire year with one focus here at our church, and it is going to be a year in God's Word. One of the challenges that we are going to have for each of us, for us together, is to read through the Bible in a year. We're going to see if we can keep that going. We're going to rally together. We're going to try to help one another, read through the entire Bible in a year. Some of you have done that before, and you know the tremendous value in being in God's Word every day. One of the things that that we are going to do is I'm I'm going to do a sermon series on Sunday mornings that will take all year, just so you know. All year. Some of you already started right now in your mind, looking for a new church. (laughs) It's all right. You come back in September. We'll still be in that series. You can count on us, right? Okay. We're going to do a series that will cover many, if not all of the major Bible stories you remember. If you grew up in Sunday school, we're going to look at not only what God was doing, but what God was going to do and how does Jesus fulfill these things. It won't be the same story every week, but we'll look at, dozens of Bible stories, cover to cover in the Bible. Here's a year in God's Word. We're going to cover it all. There's nothing that you can do that is more valuable than to learn and to trust His Word. The Israelites had to do that. They had to learn to trust that God was going to fulfill His promises. Let me encourage you every day, spend time in the Scripture, read God's Word, learn to trust His Word. So when you're putting up your tree... When you walk by your tree that you've put up, remember the family tree of Jesus all the way from Abraham to the Messiah. That it points to God's faithfulness. Remember the tree on which He was crucified that points to God's faithfulness to forgive sin and to set us free. Remember the the green, evergreen nature of your tree. God's faithfulness. He is faithful even when we're not. So receive His forgiveness. It's available to you. He He is faithful on the mountain, so give Him the glory for all the good things that are happening in your life. He is faithful in the valley, so pour out your heart to Him because He cares for you. And He is faithful to keep His promises. He showed us most in Jesus Christ. He is faithful to keep His promises, so trust His Word. Let your tree be a reminder. Let me encourage you, if you've got children, grandchildren, that you have influence over, stop and talk about these things. You say, I don't know how to talk with my kids about Jesus. I don't know I, I'm, you know, I got grandkids and I'm not sure if they're parents, you know, my kids, if they're going to say anything to them. Here is it built in right here about the Christmas tree. How can you take back the Christmas tree? You talk about God's faithfulness. You talk about how even when we're not, God is always faithful and He offers us forgiveness to receive it. You talk about, you know what? So many great things have happened. Let's give God the glory because He's faithful. Look at that green tree. It's just like God's faithfulness. That tree's not going to fade. God's faithfulness never goes away. You know what? We've experienced some tough times this year. Maybe your children, your grandchildren have gone through it with you. Maybe the people in your life have have just experienced just as much pain as you have. You see, you know what? That tree reminds us God is faithful even in the valley, so let's just pour our hearts to Him. This time of year may be tough. Let's pour out our hearts. And ultimately, we know as we look at that tree that God is faithful to keep His promises, both in the family tree of Jesus, the tree on which Jesus was crucified, and the evergreen nature of it. God keeps His word. Let's trust Him. Built-in stuff for you to talk about. Built-in things for you to mention when you put up the tree, when you walk by the tree, when you sit around the dinner table, whatever it may be. God is faithful. So receive His forgiveness, give Him the glory, pour out your heart to Him, and trust His Word. Let's pray together.